Welcome, Rinkrats, to this Blackhawks Hockey Rinkcast, episode 29, exclusively <clears throat> sponsored by the premium hockey outfitters at puckhockey.com. That's P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y.com. Use discount code THERINK to get all of your rink wear as the uh, fall comes around. It gets to be a little bit of a chill in the air. Everyone can go out and get themselves a, uh, a rink hoodie or a rink uh, flannel or a hat or a shirt or whatever you'd like. Just all the, all that rink crap. Just buy it. Yeah, just buy all of it. Worry about it later. Put it on the credit card like a Christmas present. But anyway, today is Thursday, August 23rd, 2018. I am Jeff Osborne, better known across the interwebs as Gatekeeper. What's up, jerks? Yes, Satan. <laughs> I am joined here by my good friend, co-host, and fellow grumpy old guy, Mr. John Jekyll. Hello, sir. Hi, Jeff. How are you, buddy? Hi, are. How are you, pal? Oh, fantastic. Never better. Fantastic. Also on the line, we have Mr. Aaron Goldschmidt, our NCAA expert. Hello, Aaron. Hello. Hello. Where is AA Ron right now? (laughs) (laughs) And we have our wonderful Rockford beat guy, correspondent, Mr. Mario Terabasi. Hello, sir. Hey, what's going on, guys? What's going on? Ding, 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 bum, ding. I really have to find something something new for you. No, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Well, you know. Well, I have a microphone and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say. (laughs) And a very special guest tonight. We have Mr. Charlie Romeliotis from NBC Sports. Easy for you to say. Charlie Romeliotis. There you go. Best hair on the beat, right? Best hair on the beat? Yeah, best hair on the beat. I'll I'll take that. I'm disputing that. I'm 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 filing a dispute against that claim. (laughs) Wait, what's my soundboard? (laughs) I I didn't put one together for you. I went easy easy on you the first time. Wow. It sounds like you have a very long list to choose from. That's kind of impressive. Yeah, well. Sir, one more outburst. I will strangle you with my microphone wire. You understand me? All right, I'll dig it. I dig it. Figure it out. Figure it out. <laughs> I, I added a couple new ones. That was a request of uh, Zoe, the figure it out from uh, Letterkenny. Oh, bitter batter. Let's get at her. I had a hard time with Letterkenny. I tried it. It's just, it's like Aaron Sorkin. It's just the dialogue is like overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to kind of maybe watch them a couple times because they talk I, very I, fast. I, you know, my attention spans about 12 seconds. There's yeah. no way I'm going to watch anything twice unless it's really good. Yeah. So, so anyway, we got uh, Charlie on the line. Uh, we, we talk a little bit Blackhawks. I know uh, you recorded yesterday with Mr. Boyle about uh, what isn't going on in Blackhawks land. It's a lot of speculation, a lot of lists being made. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of weird suggestions being made. Uh, I don't know, Gabe. There's, there's quite a few things that get under our skin, but I would argue those lists that come out at this time of the year are pretty high on the list. <laughs> Literally pretty high on the list. Oh, Figure it out. <sighs> but, uh, anyway. so, I mean, the, the, that, what is it? The CHL, SPHL, whatever it is that's going on tonight. Their championship is actually going on tonight. The no check, no defend league. Yeah. Yeah. So I know, Charlie, you got a lot of questions about that league, <laughs> probably. Yeah. 
Sure. Let me wait. Let me go roll up the the laundry list of questions I have. Although I I don't even think any. It's weird. I, I think I saw a tweet today saying no NHL players are playing in that thing today. Yeah, I just saw that. I was going to bring that up. Uh, Tracy Myers tweeted that uh, they're doing the championship tonight, and no NHL players are listed to play in that game. So Kane and Kane and DeBrinket they lost the other night, and so did Murphy. I don't know. Either that or they're not playing because they haven't really been playing. Every game. I think only Kane's been playing a handful of games. I think DeBrinket's been playing most of them. Taze, I think, only played one or two, maybe. I may be wrong, but I, that's what I, the way I understood it. Did Kane go 0-3 in his three appearances? I don't even know. I don't know what the records are. I haven't looked it up. Because, I mean, honestly to me, and, and I know the way the, the, that the beauty league runs and everything, it's just a, it's kind of a PR thing for a bunch of guys to get out there and kind of just noodle around for the summer hopefully not get hurt and just kind of, you know, keep hockey relevant while the NHL isn't really playing. Yeah. I don't I don't know what it is, but I got a feeling Kane's I don't give a crap level was pretty high in those games. He didn't have you to know? give a crap based on what I saw in that uh right. that play that he made today where he roofed right. it that backhand top shelf. Yeah. That was pretty insane. Yeah. But again, who I I don't even know who the goalie was that he did it against. I know one of them was uh, a former Puck and Hostel uh, follower, uh, Cody, I forget his last name, but... Cody, that one guy. He's Pedialyte something or Pedialyte 4, I think, on Twitter. But, uh, yeah, he's a, like a Chicago area native, I believe. And uh, Cody Karpinski, I think his name is. And he's, he's filled in for, like, the Indiana or the, uh, the Indy Fuel and stuff. So he's played, you know, in some pro games but he wasn't you know an nhl guy uh i think one of the other highlights that i saw come through this morning was him getting it where he he basically said uh if anyone has found my jock please return it to me <laughs> so, oh that's good yeah but uh i mean what is your opinion charlie on on this whole thing going on this summer and people getting a little too wound up over you know, seeing a highlight and a half speed game where the defensemen are straight legged and gliding. Yeah, it's funny that um, you go there and obviously Kane and Debrinker are on the same team, so they're just beating off each other and toying with the other players, and everyone's kind of blowing it up into, oh, well, they should play on the same line this, this season. I mean, they, they should anyway, but like it, it's like based off the summer league, uh, which is kind of uh, misleading. I mean, you look at you look at what they did at the Worlds, and I thought that was a uh, pretty uh, impressive. And I thought that's that's what you want to go off of in the chemistry that they built, not in the summer league. But I actually think Kane was one of the guys uh, that was actually uh, trying the hardest. Uh, like one of the he like he doesn't go there just to. It, and even uh, the charity game last year, which I think is this weekend, um, he's one of the guys that kind of he doesn't have a a, a mid a mid-level or a lower level. Like he, he's always on, he's always going not a hundred percent, but he's, he's, he's kind of competitive when it comes to that stuff. So, uh, it's really just, a, uh, just to get those guys in the shape and with, with the hockey season coming up and it's more so for the fans as well. Right. Yeah. And, and that's great. You know, it comes out five bucks a ticket, whatever <laughs> it is, and, you know, they get a little money and keeps people relevant and it's nice, but <clears throat> people have to take it kind of with a grain of salt, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kane Debrinket has a hat trick the first night, and you know, right? It's a given <laughs> or like Kane doesn't Kane doesn't score a goal the other night, and fans are going crazy when it, you know it's nothing. Yeah, right, for sure. Yeah, you know, uh, 
and then, it is a cool event, though. I think I think that's uh, you know, I, I I don't think there's any downside to it. Obviously, knock on wood, uh, you know, injury wise, but I I think it's a win win for everyone involved. And I thought it was really cool that Kendall Coyne was in it, and uh, I think she scored a goal the other night that went top cheese. It was yeah. pretty sick. I saw that. I saw that highlight. I was watching it uh, earlier today. She's, it was a nice goal. And then there was one where she scored uh, a little earlier where she picked it from uh, Anthony Lewis and went in on a breakaway from her own blue line in. Uh, that was yeah, like, that's right. a couple she, weeks ago. Uh, yeah. I think she like semi-fan on the shot and it, and it kind of trickled in. Yeah. She pulled like Nikita Kucherov. Not really, but yeah. Um, yeah, that was, that was, that was cool too. Yeah. I think they should get, try to get some more out there. Like, uh, Cameron Granado or something like that. Cause she's a, a local, but maybe next year. I think it would have been cool if we saw some alumni playing it. Like, it, um, you know, if, like Patrick Sharp or like Adam Burris, like if they were suited up for a week or Jamal Mayers, you know, things like that, that would have been kind of cool. But I think it's, if we're going, uh, entertainment wise, I think that would have been cool, but I don't know. I think it's more so for the guys that are just trying to get back into condition and just trying to stay in shape in the summer. Right. So, um, you guys had, I don't even know where to start here on this outline. <laughs> um, <laughs> look at, we got a lot of questions. Yeah, we do. Um, we'll kind of go through just kind of the, the few small things that happened. The first was the Blackhawks single game tickets went on sale, which didn't really, uh, didn't really go off swimmingly. Uh, it was a lukewarm response, honestly. It wasn't a doorbuster. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I still think I, I haven't heard that the uh, the the home opener hasn't been sold out yet. So, which is wow unusual. Wow. Yeah, but I mean, based on what lit or how little movement they had this summer and what they really didn't do, fill any needs or anything like that, I can't say I'm surprised. The only thing that's surprising to me, and it's funny because we were going back and forth today in one of our chats. Charlie, um, somebody brought up a comparison you made of the Hawks of the last year or two being sort of similar to the Red Wings after 2009, if I <clears throat> got that correctly. And that's a comparison I've made at times, too. And, and I think that uh, the thing that's really interesting to me, though, is like the, the Red Wings, at least they were playoff competitive for, oh, gosh, I want to say – four or five years after their last cup. And it's like pretty much last year. Um, although I think the, the Nashville series in 2017 was, was a pretty cold slap in the face. Uh, but last year it's like the, the Hawks like literally fell off a cliff last year. And um, I, I think that, you know, the, the Hawks front office is finding out now that, you know, all that success they had was maybe not so much, a product of, you know, the marketing genius of John McDonough, but rather, you know, a great collection of talent that they had for, you know, better part of a decade. But now that, uh, you know, it's almost like they sort of reached a tipping point where the talent's not really there anymore, or at least not like it was. And uh, the fans are just like, it seems like anecdotally for the most part, but there seem to be some metrics out there as well that the fans are heading to the door like rats off a sinking ship. Yeah, I think the, I think the problem with it's it, it's so hard to evaluate last year because they were in a they were fighting for a playoff spot when Crawford went down. So like even if they even if Crawford did stay healthy the rest of the year, they, like it wasn't a sure thing that would they would have made the playoffs. But I have a feeling down the stretch that 
that that's kind of when the Blackhawks usually come together is when the games matter and, and things like that. But um, it's certainly noted that you know after the Red Wings won their last cup in '09, they you know I mean they were they were competitive. They missed the playoffs for the first time uh, last year or two years ago, whatever whichever it was after breaking that was it like 25 year streak. So. Yeah. I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how they bounce back this year because I do think uh, I think the Blackhawks are going more of the Bruins route rather than the Red Wings route where they're just kind of every trade deadline that the Blackhawks um, or every trade deadline that the Detroit Red Wings would uh, basically just go for it no matter yep. what just wanted it yep. they just wanted to milk every last run with Datsuk and Zetterberg and. Yep. You know what I mean? So, and then yep. you got the Bruins last year, who obviously vaulted back into Stanley Cup contention, but they took a few years off, and then kind of just reloaded with the same core. And and um, I I'm not sure the Blackhawks are in that position yet because, I mean, Charlie McAvoy just fell out of heaven for Boston and and is just a, an absolute stud, number one defenseman. He, he basically looks Sedano Chara. You know, he, he revitalized him too. So um, the Blackhawks do not have a Charlie McAvoy, uh, but I also don't think they have the younger depth players either. Like they don't have a Brandon Carlo or they don't have, uh, you know, a David Pasternak. You know, those guys are Debrinkin and Schmaltz, but they're not there yet. So uh, I think the Bo- the Boston Bruins are kind of ahead of that curve. I really agree with that. That's uh, that's a good observation because mm-hmm. it's kind of you know that that the, that's the way they seem to be going, but they don't have they don't seem to have that caliber of player just yet. It, they have the potential of having those caliber players, but no one really knows at this point in time. So I think I think they're hoping that Boquist ends up being that kind of player. I mean, like you know, an elite, you know, top level player, you know, possibly even a generational player. I mean, I think one thing Hawk fans kind of took for granted is that you know the Hawks from 2002 when they drafted Duncan Keith to 2007 when they drafted Patrick Kane, they. They they basically drafted three generational players, um, you know, in in those in those five draft years, and then 2009 they signed that kind of player in Marion Hosa, and you know that kind of aggregation of talent is highly unusual in hockey history, and and uh, you know, uh, but I think the Hawks, like to your point, I think the Hawks are hoping Bolkvist will be that kind of player for him, but. Bottom line on that is, I mean, that could be before we even start to see the fruits of that. That could be a couple of years out, maybe three years out. Right, right, and that's exactly it because they they found Brandon Carlo and Charlie McAvoy when they were in the process of rebuilding. You know, Adam Bolt, right. they would have ideally would have liked to drop his kind of caliber player defenseman last year, so he could yes. play. You know, so like yeah. Joe Haru, we were all, you know. You know, maybe he could be that top line guy, or maybe he can be the next Charlie McAvoy of a, a, a top pairing defenseman. And now it's just now I kind of view Char, or, uh, uh, Henry Yokiharu as a guy that could is probably better suited on the second pairing role. You know, like you were optimistic that he could turn yeah. into a top pairing role next. Well, to and again, I mean, I, I, Gate and I tend to be very pessimistic, and no, I, but yeah, but I mean, but I mean, every every summer. There's there's some prospect that is getting elevated to near Hall of Fame status on Hawk Twitter. It just it it happens, and um, you know last year was Debrinket, 
And fortunately for everybody, I mean, he, after a little bit of a rough start the first 20 games or so, he, he did really step it up. And, you know, he looks like he, he will be a, a nice top six scoring type of forward, probably can be counted on for 30, 35 goals a year. Um, you know, he's got some other things in his game. He, could, he probably needs to round out, but he certainly seems willing and, and has the right attitude. Yoki Haru, I mean, if, if he ends up being a 3-4 defenseman on a good NHL team, he was picked like 26th overall. That's that's a great pick. If, if he ends up being that kind of guy, yeah. Um, it's but I think it's really premature to look at him and go, well, he's our best defensive prospect. He must be a top pairing guy. Doesn't always work out that way. Yes, and that's exactly it. And and it, it kind of goes back to Gustav Forsling too. Like he yeah. was their best defensive prospect for what like a few years, and it was kind of like, oh, well, maybe he can be their next top four defenseman. Like now, like I don't I don't even think he's part of the equation. Maybe not. Well, now, you know, based on, like, the moves today with uh, Robin Norell after Robin Press both went to Sweden, uh, they're just, they're full, they have so many defensemen now that there's a logjam not only, you know, in the NHL, not of top four defensemen, but maybe of, you know, bottom pair defensemen. And then in Rockford, they've got a ton of defensemen as well. They don't know what to do with all these defensemen. They've got so many. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, that's a good problem to have. Um, The question is, is, you know, of those guys, how many of them are going to be, you know, top, top five, top six defensemen in the NHL. I mean, it's, um, you know, the, just the, the law of averages and the numbers, you know, it's a lot of those guys, like the guy that came up last year, I Dahlstrom, Carl, Carl Dahlstrom, Cal, Carl, don't call me Callie Dahlstrom. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that's a guy, you know, with his mobility limitations and he doesn't have much offensive upside, you know, maybe he's a six, seven guy on an NHL team someday. And again, that's just sort of a, an educated guess on him. But I mean, the bottom line is, is, you know, guys, you know, the guy that the two guys they have, that I think that are real, um, you know, guys to watch, maybe three, including Bodin is, um, are Yoki Haru and, and especially Bulkvist. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, you know, there's they're still a jump from where they are to the NHL. Right. Well, speaking I'm of Adam Boquist. Uh, I'm surprised Aaron hasn't chimed in with Ian Mitchell yet. Oh, I, yeah. I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he could be in the mix, too. Yeah, yeah Aaron's, Aaron's uh, you know, the, the world's biggest Ian Mitchell fan, uh, right after being the world's biggest Lance Bowman fan. <laughs> easy, easy. Now, Gordy Clifton is the world's biggest Lance Bowman fan, so <laughs> but yeah, let's just be let's be clear on that. But you guys did, you know, you guys did mention Ian Mitchell and uh, uh, Nicholas Bodin uh, on your podcast as well. Like, there's you know a lot of promising potential, you know, good defensemen in the system. Unfortunately, none of them seem to be ready for the NHL just yet, which is no. kind of a, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, a bad problem they've got right now. But speaking of Boquist, um, he's going to be playing in the Traverse City Tournament, and then he's going to head probably straight to London, Ontario to to uh, play with the Knights there. So that looks like, from what we're hearing, that looks like to be what, what the plan's going to be, which is probably the best thing, you know, yeah. for him. Yeah. So, um, let's see. The Ice Hogs made a couple of moves. We'll kind of shift a little bit, uh, get Mario in the mix here. First of all, uh, speaking of the Ice Hogs, Mario, great job on your phone interview with uh, Jeremy Colleton. I mean, I don't, you know, people may or may not have listened to it. If you haven't, I, I will link it in the uh, 
the description of the podcast. But uh, Mario, if you want to kind of give a synopsis or or anything, you know, or give us a little bit of a wrap up of what what happened in that interview, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate the, uh, the the kind words. Um, yeah, just talking with, uh, with with Coach Carlton as he's um, getting back to the Rockford area, getting ready for um, you know for this upcoming season. Uh, building off of last year, which ended up being Rockford's best season that they've had since joining the AHL, um, kind of setting the bar pretty high for him in in, in the second year, and um, just just kind of getting a feel for you know how how he operates um, in the summer. You know, I was asking him if he you know how much contact he really has with players over the summer, if he's you know on them to make sure if they're training or how much he. Uh, uh, and he's involved in that. And he says he he, he 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 checks in every now and then, but you know, being being so uh, closely removed from the game himself, I'm sure he understands, you know, from a player's perspective, how much space that uh, they actually need in the summer to kind of get away from hockey for a little bit. And um, but he, uh, yeah, he was he he was fun to talk with. Um, you know, I asked him about uh, just. You know, year one to year two, the 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 you know differences that he he may face, and um, you know, I, the the one thing that I that I took away from the end of from from talking with him, uh, you know, at the end of last season, and uh, just talking with him now a couple of days ago, is that he seems to he he seems very focused. An even keel and is just like, you know, we, we had a great season last year and it kind of a, a lot of it, a lot of improbable things coming together at once, you know, with the amount of movement of players up and down with, you know, injuries, the, the, the injury to Corey Crawford, you know, presented a, a very interesting situation with, with goaltenders for, for Rockford and Chicago, um, you know, late in the season, Chicago, they're out of the playoff mix, so they're bringing in a couple different uh, players up and down for you know uh, a short time in the league, and um, you know still being able to have the success that they did, and um, you know finish the season out that they did. It's he in his first year, deserving of a lot of praise, and um, and I think he, he he takes it, but he he definitely drives home the fact that. It's you know as good as it was, it, it still wasn't good enough, and that uh, he he drives home the fact that you know they're always looking to improve and they're always looking to you know do something better. So um, you know I think it's gonna, I think it's going to be a, another another fun season. Um, they have a, a, a good number of um, second year players that are, that are going to be in the mix uh, from last season to this season. That'll be uh, exciting to watch a lot of first year pros. That'll be uh, in the mix as well. Again, I think they had yeah, 13, 14 first year pros make their, make their uh, AHL debut last year. Um, I don't know if it'll be that many again this year, but who knows, but it'll be a, it'll be a decent number. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was good to talk with them and, uh, I did ask him, you know, one one player that he's excited to see, um, you know, this season that, uh, you know, he, he knows will be coming in. Um, and he mentioned uh, Yoni Tulola. 
the defenseman from Finland that came in late last year and um, basically just played his way into the, uh, the the starting defensive rotation during the conference finals. Um, and really, in in a short in a short stint um, in his in his first taste of of you know North American pro hockey, really was impressive. Um, you know the, the the timing of him coming in was was uh, very interesting because um, Darren Radish had just signed his first uh, NHL contract, and then Tulola essentially outplayed Radish for his spot uh, during the playoffs. So um, Colton is is has mentioned him as someone that he's excited to see, and um, you know he's he's part of that logjam on the blue line in Rockford. So it'll be interesting to see how ice time kind of uh, gets divvied out there. But, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good conversation. And yeah. uh, looking forward to uh, to this year. It's going to be another – it's going to be another fun year. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, the, the, the one thing – the, the thing that I kind of took away from it is, you know, you were kind of pressing him on a couple questions. And he has definitely studied at the uh, the University of John McDonough. He's been schooled on uh, how to carefully construct your answers – and uh, mm-hmm. not you know not to tip your cards or or anything like that. So he was he was you know he I think you know he's pretty wise beyond his years. He might be a you know a young coach, but uh, he, you know he's he's pretty under control and and uh, you know he, he constructs everything very carefully. So he doesn't want to yeah. he doesn't want to say too much because you pressed him about the goalie stuff and I'm not going to spoil on any of that you know. But you did ask kind of about the goalie stuff and things like that. And he was you know. He kind of left it a little general, so yeah. Well, and and that's a situation that's still up in the air. I mean, we don't we don't know what the exact timetable is going to be with Corey Crawford. But I just I just you know I know it's going to be something that that everyone's going to keep their eyes on. So I just wanted to gauge maybe what 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 his uh, take on it was. Yeah, yeah. I was, that's why I, I kind of that's why I kind of threw in those little questions at the end to maybe see if he'd uh, he'd open up a little bit. Yeah, right. He uh, he was kind of. Uh, at the end, it was kind of interesting. I was just going to say that part. I don't want, like I said, I don't want to be a spoiler alert here. But at the end, it was <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. interesting. You kind of, you kind of uh, caught him off guard. But uh, I was, <laughs> I actually was kind of hoping that he may uh, mention something about Kevin Lankin, and he may, you know, that maybe he had some kind of, uh, you know, knowledge uh, of how Kevin Lankin was going to fit into mm-hmm. the mix. I know you mentioned, you know, Anton Forsberg, and you mentioned Colin Delia, my boy Colin Delia, and. Uh, but he didn't uh, really have much to say about that. I think he's going to kind of wait until he see what he sees in camp. So, right. But yeah, th- that, that was the point he drove home is that in the goalie situation is that you know, training camp and and the preseason is going to dictate who's who starts where. Yeah. So and then the Ice Hogs then d- this week signed a couple of players, pretty much just AHL depth guys with Connor Moynihan, who was actually Charlie and I saw him play at uh, prospect camp uh, this summer. Um, he was he was a big bigger player, kind of a grit kind of guy. Uh, Terry Broadhurst, who's a local guy, uh, former uh, Ice Hog coming back, and then Neil Manning, who I originally had the idea. I'm like, is he Brandon Manning's brother? <laughs> because <laughs> that would totally fit with the Hawks' mo and how they do things. Yeah. I, yeah. As far as I know, he's not related. So, but anyway, yeah, yeah, those those will be guys that that'll you know pop in and out and might see some time with our boy Evan and Indy. Yeah. So, yeah. 
But uh, and then a couple little Blackhawks things like Michael Hanzu's formally retired, which I thought he was formally retired already anyway. But <laughs> but uh, really good on him. I mean, he had a good career and he helped the Blackhawks win a Stanley Cup. So oh, I love Zeus. He was I loved him. Yeah. One of the greatest mullets of all time. Yeah, spectacular mullet. He really was, you know, in short in short areas, small areas, he was a really effective player. He was a beast to play against. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I guess you guys have hammered at home on your podcast, Charlie, but uh, we ha- I don't know that we've necessarily really talked about it too much, and that's the Blackhawks and what the possibility could be of the Blackhawks either bringing in a free agent or bringing in players on PTOs. Um, what, you know, I, I, this, this Troy Brower thing won't go away. And I'm, I'm not a big proponent of it because the way I see it is he went to Calgary. He got a contract. Calgary couldn't get him out of town fast enough by buying him out. They wanted him gone. They didn't, they had no use for him, you know, by the end of the second year. And um, I'm, I'm tired of these reclamation projects, you know, they're limited on the amount of contracts that they can actually, uh, you know, sign players to. And I would rather them bring in a player. If they're going to bring in a player or they're going to acquire a player one way or the other, I would rather it someone who could maybe, you know, fill a bigger role than maybe what Troy Brower is going to pull in. But what do you, uh, and you guys said also mean, mentioned for comparable dollars though, who are you going to, who are you going to get that's necessarily that much better than, than Brower. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not making the argument for, I'm not definitely not banging the retread, the Hawker retread drum. You know, I feel how I feel about that, but I mean, there are, there are a couple of things that I think Brower can still do pretty well. One is, is, you know, he can play a physical brand of hockey down low, create some space for, for more skilled players and he wins faceoffs. And that second one, especially could really be valuable on this team if you sign him at say seven hundred thousand a year, I don't know who else you're going to get is necessarily going to be that much better. It's just it's a question of how much you pay him. Yeah, I know Charlie. You guys, sorry Charlie, I, brought I up an sorry. outside chance of you know like just throwing it out there, hail mary for Rick Nash. But I mean, do you have what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't have any inside info on that, uh, but I I just think it's a it's a possibility where. You can present to Rick Nash that, hey, that there's an opening on the left wing. You could play with Patrick Kane uh, because we don't have it solidified yet. But but there's also, you know, he can he can play right wing too. Like he can play either either the uh, the wing position. So like, if needed, he can play the first line with Jonathan Taze and Brandon Saad, or he can play drop him to the third line, whatever. My only issue with the Rick Nash thing is. You know, he's he was contemplating retirement this year, and I still don't think he's made a decision on whether or not he's definitively going to play uh, this coming season. Uh, so he might just hop on a, on a tryout basis on it with a team, or you know, he might go the um, was it Yermer Yager or, or um, uh, was it Jerome McGinley? I think it was that just hopped in mid season. Uh, you know, kind of just took the first half of the year to train and, and kind of hop onto a team to play the meaningful games. So I, I mean. I don't. The Blackhawks can afford it. It's not like they'd be breaking the bank. Uh, they've had. They have. They cleared the Marion Hosa contract, so they have all this money that they haven't spent yet. So it's not like if you give Rick Nash a one-year deal for you know three million dollars, you're going to hand handcuff yourself. Um, the the Troy Brower thing. Um, it's interesting because he j- he just turned 33, so it's not like he's 
you know, it's not like he's 36 years old and you're, you're bringing some guy in that that's literally on his last legs. Um, the, the only issue with that is you, you brought in Chris Kunitz. Uh, so yeah. I, don't, I don't think you need another guy like that. Um, I know he'll go win a board, a, a board battle if you want to park him in front of the net for net front presence on a power play. But, I mean, that's just another another guy in the back nine of his career that you're trying to revitalize. And, and, and that's been the, pro, the, the main problem of the Blackhawks. Yeah. Yeah, bringing yeah. back all these guys is it's not like they're not productive players it's that they're they're on the probably the 14th or 15th hole of their career uh and you know there's there's just no they want the familiarity but they also have to be a little bit more reasonable that you know his minutes Brower's minutes went from 16 to, to almost 13 yeah. like that was a dramatic dip but you can't the thing is is again i, I wouldn't compare the expenditure or really even, you know, the profile of Troy Brower as a player with Rick Nash. I mean, um, and it, but one thing that is similar about both of them is that they're both clearly on the downside of their careers. And I'm not sure it's sort of like, in some ways it is like bringing Kunitz in. It's not going to matter that much. I mean, Rick Nash, I don't, I don't know. I don't see him coming in. Maybe, you know, maybe he, he, he gets some chemistry with Saad and Taves and they get that cycle game going, Again, like they had with Hosa, I, you know, maybe. Um, you know, Nash is not a terribly fast skater anymore um, at his age and size. And I don't know. It just, it, it, I would rather see them go and, and make a bold move and get a younger player like a Carlson or a Max Pacioretty because I think the Panarin thing is a pipe dream, honestly. And I, what I have heard this summer is that they've been quietly pursuing Pacioretty all summer. Um, they just can't make the the um, the assets work in terms of a trade, um, and that's the problem. Is that they they're they're going to have to you know chump up and make a value for value trade to get that kind of player. But you get a guy who's young, yeah, proven, and he's in the prime of his career, so he can be part of a rebuild and maybe help accelerate the rebuild because of the, his age and and where he's at in his career. Personally, if I were if it were up to me, that's where I'd be looking at Carlson. Uh, you know, that's a guy I would look real hard at because. He is what the top end of what you hope Bokvist will be and might not be. And, and he's like 26, 27 years old. Um, and, you know, he's arguably one of the top three defensemen in the league year in, year out. I mean, I don't know. I, I just it feels like, you know, the conversation about Brower or Nash or whoever is you're just kind of clipping around the edges a little bit. And the bottom line is, is that it's not really what this organization needs. If you want to sell a few more tickets this year, maybe. But, I mean, it'd be a shame if that's how the team is thinking. And you, I, yeah. No, go ahead. I, I, if, I, if I were the Hawks at this point, uh, it, they don't sound very encouraged. Or, uh, I, I, I'll say this. The higher-ups are remaining optimistic about Corey Crawford. Um, I, I'm not as optimistic. Uh, I, I said on the podcast yesterday that like, I, I don't even think he's going to be the opening night starter. Oh, no way. And it's not going to happen. Uh, like, I mean, he, he still hasn't gone on the ice, and, and it's just concerning. Uh, so, at at if you if you know that there is obviously some skepticism around Crawford, and and you might, I, I I don't even know if I would go out and make a big splash trade. Like, I would just wait and load up for the 2019 UFA class because th- there are so many guys available. Where if you miss out on one, there's still enough. Like, you miss out on on. Pacioretty, like Panarin's available. Or you miss out on Panarin, like Sagan could be available. You know, like the, all these guys are available. So I'm not sure I would go 
trade the assets because if you if you go trade some you go dip into your pipeline and you get rid of some first round picks and then the Hawks still miss the playoffs yeah. next year yeah. you're in big right. that's up. no that's a really good argument I can't I can't really argue with it the the thing I think that they may be thinking about Pacioretty is they're hoping that they could extend him at like eight million a year where you know Panera in the open market yeah it's the price is going to be high you know he's going to be nine and, and a half uh, million probably. Yeah. So, I mean, I, but, you know, yes, loading up for, for 2019. Um, and that may be in fact, you know, what they're doing. They're just kicking the can out till then. Um, but you know, the thing about Crawford going back to that, I mean, we've talked about that quite a bit, Charlie, on this show. And, um, you know, the bottom line is his status today, it is exceedingly unlikely that he will play opening night or the first month of the season. And, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Um, don't play one on television. Um, the interview at uh, the fan convention, quite honestly, um, just in terms of his demeanor and how he looked in terms of he doesn't look like he's been doing much training. Um, and he just he really seemed like you just felt sorry for him. I mean, it seems like he's he's trying really, really hard and hoping against hope to get back. But he's still pretty far away. And, you know, the 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 bottom line on that is and the Hawks, of course, will never publicly admit this. But you don't go out and give a guy like Cam Ward what he made on the last year of his last contract and a no-movement clause before UFA even begins unless you're really looking for a surefire relative insurance policy that Corey Crawford's not going to be able to play and um, or not going to be able to play very much next year. I mean, I, I wouldn't bet against him, but I, I just don't see him playing more than 40 games, if that. And another and another thing with that too is the Hawks haven't said what exactly they're going to do with Anton Forsberg yet, and I found it a little bit interesting. Uh, it was, right after the, it was Stan Bowman's conference call, right after they made the three free agent signings on the first day, and I and I asked him about it. You know what, what's the plan with Forsberg, and and you know he said he, he's going to be right there in the mix. Like the, there was no there was no reference of oh you know we'll send him down to Rockford, let him develop like. So the fact that they didn't say anything about Forsberg yeah. makes me makes it seem like he's probably going to go into training camp with with the the mindset of we might need you to be the backup to Cam Ward. You know, I would I would bet on Anton Forsberg right now. I would bet on him being number two on opening night. I, I would I would agree. And and the the problem the problem with him still in the mix is like even if you send him down to Rockford, he's going to have to clear waivers, and if he gets claimed. Like you, that, like I, I know Anton Forsberg was was pretty bad last year, but but he as your number three, that's a solid option. And if you get rid of him as your three, with the uncertainty of Crawford, even even if he does come back, you you still don't know how he's going to perform. But like they got they got no one in in the pipeline that that screams no. NHL starter potential. Actually, you know, for uh, Forsberg's numbers actually were better than a lot of starting goaltenders in the NHL. And he wasn't playing behind the, the best defense either. I mean, he just he had some he had some a few down games. He also had some games and stretches where he was really good. Um, and I, I think I think the Hawks traded for him for a reason. Um, you know, I, I think he was a bigger part of that uh, Panarin Sod deal than than most people realized at the time. And um, you know, Gate and I have, have gone back and forth on him. And and I, I, I where I do agree with Gate is that. He showed at times a little fragility emotionally, but let's, it was also his first full year in the NHL, and he was thrust in a situation where, you know, he was getting jerked around by Quenville by like nobody's business. And 
bottom line in terms of the things he's done as a pro, both in the AHL and at times last year, I think it's way too early to give up on him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he won an Calder Cup. Yeah, with, with uh, Columbus and and Gay, you would probably uh, know this more than me. But some of the guys that some of the coaches that I talked to, they, they always praise that Forsberg is very technically sound in, in yeah. between the pipes. Like that's not an issue. It's he, you know, you let up a soft goal, and then yeah. like, how many times did we see last year where it was a soft goal, and then yeah. a minute and the next ship it was another goal. You know, like it yeah. just piled on way too quickly before it even yeah. knew it hit him. So I think that's for sure. Uh, it probably his biggest area of improvement yeah that's exactly my assessment of anton forsberg is is his problem is in his head um and you know there's ways of you know working with that if they you know work with the right guy and stuff like that but sometimes that they never recover unfortunately you know it it just the 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 joke always the intestinal fortitude you know the wrestling the old wrestling term but um you know if if they could fix his head, yeah, sure, he could still be, you know, he's still a young goalie. He's got a pretty good pedigree in the AHL. Uh, I was not particularly impressed with, with his mental game. His his physical game, I liked, but um, he kind of lost me a little bit with, with the way he would, you know, he'd give up a goal and then all of a sudden he's done for the night. And uh, in the NHL, that's not going to work. So. Well, Crawford was like that early on too, where he would, you know, let a bad goal get to him, and then it would pile on. So I mean, and he overcame that, and you know, I, 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 I think Forsberg, I, I, I've seen the same thing, but, um, you know, Crawford overcame that and became what he did. I'm not saying Forsberg can replicate that, but maybe, uh, you know, maybe he could, you know, learn from being around that and and and, you know, get over that mental block. Well, he has the he has the talent to be an NHL starter. The question is, can he sort of get it all and keep it all together? Um, and again, I just feel like it was his first first year in the NHL. Got thrust into a really difficult situation with Q and his bizarre love affair with Jeff Glass. Um, <laughs> you know, it just the whole thing was a complete tire fire last year. And uh, I don't know. I mean, you know. Ward could go down in, you know, two weeks in the season and, and Forsberg goes back in and he melts down and, you know, that'll be the end of his career. But I, at the, the other side of it is, is there, there's talent, there's obvious talent there. And it, it, he showed it in some games last year. I mean, I remember one game he went into Nashville and I think they won an overtime, the Hawks won an overtime and he made like 45 saves. He was awesome, you know, and that's not an easy game to win. And uh, so I, I just I, I don't think they're going to give up on him yet. I, th- I think that, you know, because in terms of talent and pedigree, he really is the best they have behind the 34 year old Cam Ward who lost his job to Scott Darling. Figure and, it and the Hawks didn't do him any favors last year either. Like they, by early March, I mean, they, they had packed it in. Like if, if Forsberg oh, allowed a terrible. soft goal, yeah, well, if Forsberg allowed a soft goal, like that was it. Like they weren't yeah. battling back from that. Like, you know. You know, they, they, there was that pride game at the end of the year against St. Louis where they um, had a big statement win where yeah, it was a tremendous comeback. But, you know, like the, if Forsberg allowed a, a soft goal, the Hawks weren't – it wasn't Crawford allowing the soft goal where they knew he was going to bounce back. It was like, well, another one might be coming, you know, so. Yeah. Well, something else, too, that uh, not a lot of people have talked about, but towards the end of the year – in the the infamous uh, Scott Foster game, 
Um, I had heard that the Blackhawks coaching staff was not very happy that Anton Forsberg hurt himself in his pregame, yeah. uh, you know, warm Hockey up that game. Yeah, whatever that 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 yeah. the rumor was that I heard that they were not very happy with that. Uh, that really, I mean, in, in the end, it it ended turned out to be a PR blessing, but it could have been a real nightmare, especially with the way Delia, you know, Delia played well, but then he went down and they, you got to bring in yep. this, this unknown guy. And it turned out so well, luckily for them, that was, uh, well, the right before that, that game, he was, Forsberg had had two or three really, really good games. And, um, I think one was a victory over Vancouver where again, he played really, really well against a lot of pressure in the third period. And I think the disappointment was, Hey, Bozo, you, you know, you're finally getting on track here and you, you know, fracture something playing hacky sack in the tunnel. I mean, <laughs> I think that's what they're pissed about. Cause the season was gone at that point. Yeah. It wasn't about that. I think it was more a case of they finally were getting the guy wired in and uh, he was getting on a little bit of a streak and, um, you know, then, and then whatever happened, happened. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that's, I, th- I think we've nailed all the Blackhawks stuff, <laughs> uh, beat it into the ground and beat it into everyone's face and everything. So, um, we got some questions we can talk about. The first one, though, I kind of want to bring Aaron into this because Aaron's been kind of quiet. Um, and I didn't even put this question on the, uh, on the agenda. But my boy Billy Terrell, he was asking about, you know, prospects and stuff and who's going to be playing in the USHL. Um, Aaron, you got any insight on, you know, prospects, kind of where they're going and stuff like that? Uh, as far as USHL, I think... Uh, what we've got is uh, the seventh round pick from this year. Um, got his Slavin? name slipping. Slavin, Jacob Slavin. Yeah, he'll be with the Lincoln Stars. Um, and then everyone else really is college, sure. right? What's that? Now then we got a lot of college players too. Then right? Yeah, we we actually lost a lot of college players last year. Um, Mario got to uh, get some of the graduated guys. Um, Dennis Gilbert left Notre Dame after his junior year. Um, Chad Chris is still there. Um, Blake Hillman left um, University of Denver, obviously. But, uh, yeah, we still got Bo Starrett, Chad Chris, um, and then, you know, a handful of guys, but not too many high profile. Obviously, even Mitch- Ian Mitchell is going to be um, really close to – everybody's going to be watching him this year. He's, he's in, in a really interesting situation because Denver – lost a lot of top players. They lost Trey Terry, Henrik Borgstrom, and Dylan Gambrell to the NHL this year. And those are all first and second round picks. So uh, Mitchell is pretty much going to be the guy on the blue line. Um, he's probably going to be starting on the first line with Michael Davies for Denver. Um, and pretty much the scouting report on him is he's getting a lot more aggressive. You know, he started deferring to a lot of those top players, and that's why he had so many assists on the power play for Denver last year. I think he had... I don't know, 27 or something like that. Um, but, yeah, I think he's going to have a really good year. I, I saw him play on TV at the World Junior Showcase up in uh, British Columbia. He was actually playing with um, Bodan on the same line for Team Canada, and, and that team looked really fast. Uh, one player that really stood out to me was uh, Dobson, who's we actually had the opportunity Ugh. to take in the first round, but yeah. we had both list. But, uh, yeah, Noah Dobson's the real deal, and he and Evan Bouchard may be playing um, for their respective NHL teams this year. It just depends on need. But, uh, well, Evan Bouchard probably more likely just because Zakara went down and 
they they probably need him a lot more than the Islanders do. Um, they can probably just let him develop a little bit more. But yeah, Mitchell's an interesting situation. A lot of people have been saying he might come out after this year. I wouldn't be surprised um, just because um, there isn't they're kind of in a, a transition right now in the NCHC division, which is brutally tough. But I think he's definitely gonna gonna stick out. His game has gotten a lot better. The Athletic did a few articles on Mitchell saying how he's become a lot like a young Jonathan Taves. He's getting his uh, nutrition down, um, his exercise. He's very serious about getting to the pros. And, uh, you know, I've spoken with his family, and they're all very supportive of him. And he's really maturing at Denver. It's a really good spot for him. So definitely look out for him. And let's see who else. Um, I actually wanted to to touch on Chad Chris and I want to talk to Charlie about it because he was at camp with you guys. Yeah. Um, he's kind of been lost in the mix and I don't really understand why there's, I feel like a couple blog articles came out saying, Oh, Chad Chris can't defend his own end. I really don't agree with that. Um, you know, obviously he plays on an unbelievable defensive core, probably the best in the country at Boston. And I, I think he still has all the talent in the world. Um, two years ago when we saw him at prospect camp, he just dominated uh, offensively. He's one of the best skaters um, and he's a lot closer than some of these other guys. It's debatable whether he's as close as Yoki Haru, um, but I think he's better offensively right now, but maybe not all around, but he definitely has the size. Um, what did you guys think of his game at this year's prospect camp? And, and why is he kind of getting lost in the mix of all these defensemen? Go ahead, Charlie. You can take oh, that. Yeah. So my observation of him, uh, he he actually came across to me as a very very confident player. Uh, even when speaking to him, he's kind of one of the more more confident guys uh, to talk to, and so that he doesn't lack any confidence. Um, for me, I, I think it's just the the Hawks just drafted three defensemen. I would even say four: Ian Mitchell, Boquist. Um, Yoki Haru and Nicholas Bodan, and and I think they just all four of them jumped him in the depth chart within a, a year. You know, so it's just like he kind of got lost in the shuffle, and I'm not sure I see where he fits into the long term plans. But I certainly believe, you know, he's capable of being kind of in that Rockford mix after next year, the the following year, whatever. Um, it, it's just very, it's just very. I just don't know where everyone fit, you know, like there's, there's no room for anyone even at the, at, at the Blackhawks level or at the Rockford level when, when they do come up. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I kind of felt the same way. My, my impression was, is, uh, he was very confident, very composed. Uh, he seemed to like, he, he looked like the veteran presence out there kind of, he's always smiling. He was very loose, played very, you know, he played very solid, very confident out there. Um, Wait, but, was he loose or solid? I'm just curious. <laughs> kidding. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, like Charlie said, like they've got so many defensemen at some point. They've just got too much. They've got a wealth of defensemen. They may have to use him down the, down the road as like a trade piece, unfortunately. And he may turn out to be, you know, a pretty good NHL defenseman somewhere. But just because of the way the Blackhawks have drafted and, and the players that were presented to them, he might have just, you know, kind of like, and I don't want to compare him to Gustav Forsling, but kind of how Gustav Forsling for a while was, you know, right there. And then now just people have jumped over him and uh, he's kind of losing his spot. Uh, that's kind of the way I looked at it. And and then Chad Chris, 
for that one year after he was drafted, uh, at least from what I've heard in other places, that he had he didn't have a great year in his first year in college. And uh, that kind of set him back a little bit as well uh, behind some of the other guys that were drafted around the same time as him. So um, I, I didn't see anything negative about him, just that there's it's a full boat. So, Yeah, it's just really confusing to me with the types of Blackhawks prospects that Stan Bowman's been drafting. It's just a lot of, obviously we know young, undersized, um, high ceiling guys, but strictly a lot of guys who contribute on the rush and are really good offensively who, who can, um, you know, really shoot from the point or, or facilitate or kind of leave their position. But that just really begs the question, you know, that's not the system the Blackhawks play. That's not Joel Quinville's system. And I just don't really know what we're in for here. The biggest question is where is this franchise going? And if you look at all the prospects, it's, it's not trending with Joel Quinville. Well, evidently last year they really didn't need any guys to keep the front of the net clear. I mean, you know, the opposing forwards could get nowhere near the Hawk goalies last year, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. God. <laughs> I mean, I don't know either. That's a really good question. Um, you know, I mean, Quinville does subscribe to really fast transition out of the defensive zone, typically with a pass, not necessarily skating the puck up the ice. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, I mean, most of these, all of these guys are just pretty much tiny by NHL standards. And, you know, ideally you want those, you know, fast puck moving guys, but then you also want hopefully also fast, bigger guys who are going to be able to do the dirty work around the net and along the walls and block shots, et cetera. I mean, typically your shot blockers are going to be your bigger players, um, you know, tend to be more durable. Um, I don't know. I mean, because Bowman, not only at, at defense, but also at forward, tends to draft rather diminutive players. Uh, so, John, it's really interesting you bring that up is because I don't see a player in the system that uh, has or has the potential to replace Nicholas Jalmerson. There isn't exactly. that, that exactly. warrior. Because the, the reason the Hawks were so poor last year is because they gave up a ton more shots. And what Jalmerson did was soak up seven to eight shots every night. And that's just seven to eight shots that Corey Crawford doesn't have to see um, and opportunities that could go in. So do these, do any of these guys do that? I really don't think so. Have you guys seen that? In the system you're talking about? Yeah. Just in the system in general, is there that type of defenseman? I mean, maybe the closest is Dennis Gilbert. There's a guy in Sweden um, a Hawk property in Sweden, and I can't remember his name right now. But um, a couple of people I've talked to from over there who who watch a lot of the games describe him as a younger and somewhat smaller. He's about six one two hundred, and I cannot remember the guy's name. That was Lucas uh, Carlson. Is was that it? Lucas Carlson? It may be Lucas Carlson, but he's he's described as a two way guy. Tends to be more, um, you know, uh, focused on the defensive side of the puck. Um, but he can jump into the play sometimes really responsible, really tough. Um, you know, which is a lot like, uh, you know, Jalmerson was when he came up, albeit Jalmerson was a pretty good sized kid too, six, three, about, I think about two ten, two fifteen, And, and, uh, so, I mean, there's, there's one, but who knows? I mean, the guy's in Sweden. We don't really know what he's going to be like if he ever even comes in North America. 
Um, but no, that they they're kind of bereft of that type of player. I mean, Noah Dobson, um, which is I think why a lot of people, myself included, were Me kind too. of really hoping they would grab him. Yeah, um, is is that kind of player? And uh, you know, Bowman clearly is trusting some scouting and, and his belief and hope that Boakvist is going to be another Eric Carlson, which is great. I mean, you cannot argue with that. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, a guy like, like uh, Dobson with all of the boxes, checks, size, skating, offense, defense, um, you know, and, and he's been productive. I mean, incredibly productive his last year in the queue. Um, you know, that's, that, that must, I, I hope that was a tough decision. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, they, well, really, the way I see it, as far as defensemen, like with size in the system, uh, Hillman, uh, Gilbert. He's not real big, though. Hillman's no, not no I, they're not huge. Gilbert, Hillman, and like Tulola's decent size, too. I mean, he's, as far as comparatively to the rest of the Blackhawks defensemen, those are really the guys with size in the system. Well, Carl, Carl Dahlstrom's got some size, too. He's yeah. about 6'3", 200, 200 yeah. or so, but he, but he doesn't. From 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 watching him, his game is not necessarily the the uh, physical. Um, you know, he's not a Nicholas Jalmerson. No, he's 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 not he's not a Jalmerson. No, I, I think I think as far as like your your physical presence, I think Dennis Gilbert in the system is probably the guy that's gonna you know be the one to to to, to lay out hits and try and clear a net, but. Yeah, I mean it's it's slim pickings for someone who's gonna who's gonna play that Jalmerson style of, of, of game. Well, we had one. His name was Stephen Johns, but he's gone. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I want to go on record to say, uh, Aaron, I think you might like this. I I think Ian Mitchell is gonna be an NA, a, a better is gonna have a better NHL career than Henry Okihari. Whoa! Wow. Oh, hot Ooh. takes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know and what? I, that what's going surprised. on Twitter? That wouldn't surprise me, because again, I think I, I think that that Yoki Haru has been pretty heavily hyped, and and I, I I don't think it's a given in my mind that he's going to be all as great as some people have just assumed he's going to be. It's quite possible. I mean, and, and I hear only great things about Mitchell. I'm not I'm not saying I'm I'm going to go there with you, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I want I want to know why. What's your justification there? Well, I, I got to see him a lot, um, obviously, development camp and and, and, and speaking to him um, in the locker room. He, he just comes across as this, this confident guy. My only concern with him is that he, he's – I think he's about like 175 right now. Like he's, he's going to need to add some muscle, but I <laughs> think – Oh, God. I laugh at 175. <laughs> yeah, I'm not you, Charlie. I'm sorry. No, it's just yeah. – I mean it's like every every, you know – top Hawk prospect is like 175 pounds soaking wet. Every one of them. Yeah. It's just funny. No, I, I just, I just think, uh, at, uh, kind of following his progression in, in, uh, at Denver and, and playing with Blake Hillman, boy, it, it sure seemed like he was the driving force of that blue line. And he did it as, you know, an under, pretty much an underclassman. Like he was carrying that blue line for, for a, pretty much all year. And, and the, the confidence that he, exuded at development camp and, and the way the Blackhawks talk about him like he's a prized first rounder it makes it seem like he might be he, like I, I'm just going to predict that he's going to sign after this year and, and I think he's going to hop he could hop in right away maybe if he burns that first level I don't know if he's going to burn the first year the entry level deal but like that's a guy the Blackhawks view highly of 
and I don't see a reason why he, he can't be a, a better NHL player than Yokiaru. Excellent. <laughs> I, the Aaron, Aaron just, he's standing at attention right now. I'll just say, <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I was actually, I, I, I was a big fan of Ian Mitchell as well last year on, at development camp. And then again this year. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's good to hear. It's interesting because if you look at Yoki Haru's highlights from uh, the Winterhawks, it's very flashy. You don't really see a lot of the defensive work. And then you look at Mitchell's stuff, and it's just mostly defensive. I would say 65% of his stuff is just breaking up rushes, making smart plays, really smart exits, um, carrying the puck, making that – his thing for me, I've, I've watched him for the last, uh, you know, I watched him last year at Denver his freshman year. His first pass is flawless. Um, you know, he'll get the puck behind the net, skate it a little bit, and then just hit the, hit his centerman in stride, and then the play just develops. So, so the little stuff like that, where you're just watching a single player, he's just phenomenal at. And, uh, you know, Denver spends a lot of time in the offensive zone, and it's mostly in part due to their defensemen. So I'm with you there. I, I don't know if I saw as much of that um, with Yoki Haru, but he does do a lot of that too. Um, I saw that in the world junior tournament, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the hottest of takes right there. <laughs> well, he's just, and I also think he, he, in a, in a way that he might be a little bit further along in his progression than Yoki Haru too. Yeah. yeah. The problem is I, I don't, you know, you don't want to bring Ian Mitchell over this year because you don't want him to fight for a roster spot. You want to bring him over and be like, "Hey, yeah. you're you're a top four guy. Get in there." Yeah, so or get Aaron, fed to the. All those things that you you described are things that will endear him to Joel Quenville and will get him in the NHL before Yoki Haru, um, because that you, you know Q does not care that Yoki Haru looks like you know Bobby Orr coming up the ice. It's all the things he does over 200 feet of ice. That you know is gets a, a rookie into the into the lineup for Quenville. I mean, it's always been that way, and um, I, so it, whether you know w- whether his upside is better than Yoki Haru's or not, and I, I don't have an opinion on that. Um, but as far as getting in, in the NHL and becoming a regular in the rotation, the things you describe, I mean, you know, making making the the right uh, plays in the defensive zone, uh, great first pass out of the zone. Um, those are all things that that will get him in the NHL faster if Quenville is still the head coach. And I think both of them are really at an advantage. They're both in great programs. University of Denver's storied NHL uh, NCAA program and the Portland Winterhawks. I mean, Marion Hosa went there. Several yeah. NHL players have yeah. gone there. They're both in great situations. So for me, it's really one and one A. Uh, they're very close players. But, you know, I've, I've just seen more of Mitchell. Um, in the last year, and his growth is just incredible. And I, th- I think the only the one difference between the two of them, uh, like I think Ian Mitchell is further along in his progression than Yoki Haru, but like Ian Mitchell is one seventy five, and he's a couple inches shorter than Yoki. Yeah. Like he needs that extra time to build his frame in college. I don't think he necessarily needs to go work on his game anymore because I think that I think that's close to NHL ready. And I think the one thing that Mitchell's got going for him is that he's under the radar. He should have been a first-round pick, but he was a second, and everyone puts all the pressure on Yoki Haru. Mitchell's just like, yep, uh, you know, made the Frozen Four tournament. I was um, all NCHC, NCHC freshman, freshman team, um, you know, led the country in the NCAA in assists, power play assists. So he's kind of doing everything without being heard. 
Yeah, there's not that big of a gulf between where Yoki Haru was picked and where Mitchell yeah. was picked. I mean, um, late first round and what was Mitchell mid to late second round, something like yes, that. Yes, fifty-seven. Yeah. yeah, I mean, not that much of a gulf typically in in the draft between that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that's I don't think that's really going out on a limb. That you that you could well be right on that, Charlie. Yeah. Cool. Oh, don't diminish my point. <laughs> the emperor does not share your optimistic appraisal of the situation. <laughs> all right. Well, we've gotten we've gotten through all the hawk stuff. We got the hot takes out. Uh, let's wrap up with some questions here, and we'll get, we'll, we'll try to ramble through these. Um, one of them was already taken care of. What are the chances of the Hawks signing Rick Nash to play with Schmaltz and Kane? Uh, we kind of talked about that already, so I'm going to knock that off. But thanks, Hawks Talk Fifty Three. Uh, Joe Hinker, a question. What is everyone's realistic realistic expectations for the upcoming year when it seems like Cam Ward will be our starting goalie and seemingly no movement to use the cap space we have now? Uh, and then there's a second part to the question. But my uh, Charlie, I, I kind of spoil alert your your podcast a little bit, but you guys were saying that uh, you know you thought that with a healthy Crawford they could be uh, you know they could be a bubble playoff team. I my honest opinion is that Crawford won't be around long enough for them to be able to make the playoffs. I don't think Great. they make the playoffs this year. I think they're about, they'll be maybe slightly better than they were last year, but I don't think they're going to be much better. At, at what point do you think, uh, like last year, they were obviously out of it by, you know, pretty much January, February. Yeah. If, we're, uh, if we want to dip back into way back. Like for, for me, obviously I agree because I, I don't think Crawford will be ready to, to start the year. And, and I don't know how much you're going to get of Crawford. And even if you're going to get that elite form, um, it, it just comes down to me is where, where do you think they're going to be by the trade deadline? Because that's where they're kind right. of the decision whether to go forward or kind of scale it back and well, sell off again. I'll, I'll jump in on that one. Let's be realistic. I mean, a team that has a realistic shot at contending for a cup goes big at the trade deadline as a buyer. The Hawks are not going to be that team. Um, the Hawks may, in fact, be, you know, um, in the playoff picture in the standings um, the last week in February. Um, but the reality of it is, if the Hawks get in, they're probably they're probably out in the first round. Um, you know, possibly they, they could even scrape into the second round, but, um, I don't, you know, again, if I think if they, if they, you know, Bowman has, has said that he's planning on, on, if he makes trades, it'll be during the season, which to me seems highly counterintuitive since it's always a seller's market. Um, you know, but maybe he's just bluffing. I hope so because, because that would really be stupid in my opinion. Um, so, but I think where it gets really interesting is if they're tanking, if there's empty seats at the United Center, um, you know, if the if the press in Chicago is really bad, um, you know, do they then become really big sellers in February? And bottom line, I think if they're like tenth or worse in the West, you may see that happen. Yeah, Charlie, you got anything you want to you know expound on with your prediction? I, I I'll say I'll say this. I think what the Blackhawks have going for them is that I think the top three, the, the top three are going to be Nashville, Winnipeg, St. Louis. And, and after that, I really believe it's, it's kind of a, a toss up, you know, like who knows what, how, how Dallas is going to respond with a new coach. 
Um, I think Colorado overachieved last year, so I think they're going to take a step back. I don't see them making the playoffs again. And I think Minnesota, like, they're another year older, and they didn't get better. So they're they're trending in the wrong direction. So the Blackhawks have that going for them, where, where the, the bottom half of the division isn't as strong, so they can maybe get into that four or five spot. But, you know... It's wishful thinking when when you consider that Crawford might not be ready to start the year, and then you don't even know when he will return. And when he does return, you don't right. know what you're getting from him. So, right. I mean, if it's if it's been this hard for him to get back and play, hockey is still, as far as I know, it's still a contact sport, and he's going to get hit. He's and and you know, it's not beyond some players to actually target him. Um, and, um, you know, as sad as that is some high pucks too, you know, like, yeah, yeah. He's taking a lot of it. That one off Shea Weber last year where it it was unreal from like 20 feet out or something like that. Yeah. I, the the thing is, you know, yeah, maybe they get lightning in a bottle with Cam Ward, maybe, but I'd feel a lot better about that if their off season moves on the blue line was something beyond Brandon Manning. Um, you know, because this, their blue line was absolutely atrocious last year. And, it's, you know, as far as I know, Eric Gustafson kill, still can't play def- defense at all, you know. So, I mean, it's just I, I, I don't I just don't see it. And I, I think that, you know, I, I'm not betting on Crawford at all. And like I said, I mean, I put the over under at like 35 games and I'm probably taking the under. Um, and uh, they just they're just too weak in, in critical areas, particularly defense and center. Um, which are, you know, the two outside of goalie, those are the two most important positions. I mean, with wing being sort of the least important of them. And um, I don't know. And they haven't done anything, really, unless you count Marcus Kruger and and Chris Kunitz. Yeah, the second part of Joe's question was, John, please tell me you have something in the trade rumor mill. And I kind of know the answer to that one, but if you want to address it. Yeah, I'll just bring, I said it a little earlier on. I, I mean, I checked in with a source yesterday because there were, some rumors starting to float, float around about, you know, the bit, next big move being Troy Broward. And uh, they I have heard consistently all summer from a, a good source that they've quietly been pursuing Max Pacioretty. And a big part of that reason is that apparently Patrick Kane has been recommending to the front office that they go get Pacioretty. He really enjoyed playing with him in the Worlds. And, um, you know, I don't think that, that the Hawks are prepared to – really go big and overpay for a guy like Pacioretty. Um, but I, I, I could see, I can sort of see the rationale in terms of really optimizing Kane in terms of who's on his left wing. Um, and a guy who's a little more inclined to go get pucks in the corners, et cetera. And Kane apparently likes playing with them. So, um, you know, and again, it would be one of those moves where if the price was right in terms of the assets you gave up, um, if you can extend them for a reasonable price, well, then it kind of accelerates your rebuild, rebuild a little bit. Again, depending on what you gave up for him. But uh, you know, um, the Hawks do have a plethora of young defense prospects now, and and that sort of thing. So who knows? I mean, but uh, that's the name I continue to hear. I never heard P- uh, Panarin from a credible source. Personally, if you you know, I dug into it in a blog on the rink um, a couple of weeks ago. It doesn't make a lot of sense from a business standpoint. And in terms of the fact that they traded him because they they knew it was going to be really difficult to keep him in 2019, and so then the logic of getting him back in 2019, it just it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, if you look at Twitter today, he's going to Tampa Bay. So well, there you go. <laughs> hey, a Gate. lot of Russians there. Yeah, what's hey, up? Gate, can I chime in on something? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, Charlie, I think I might actually disagree with you on Colorado. Um, I think that's definitely a playoff team. If you look at if you look at their uh, their roster right now, they've got a Hart Trophy finalist in uh, Nathan McKinnon. They've got a lot of young forwards that are top picks: Tyson Jost, Miko Rantanen, um, Alex Kerfoot. Uh, JT Comfer and their defense actually is pretty strong. I know it's not been great in the past, but Eric Johnson was injured for the playoffs. So that's, um, you know, they won, I think one or two games against the Preds, but they would have been more competitive with Eric Johnson. And um, they added Ian Cole, they added Matt Kelber, yeah. and they also traded for Philip Grubauer. Plus at the end of the season, uh, you're probably going to see Kale McCarr um, leave college at um, Amherst and probably join the team for a playoff push. Not to mention they have two first round picks this year and one might be Jack Hughes. So I think that team is definitely trending up, even though the Central is brutally, brutally hard. This is a team in the past that has kicked the Blackhawks' asses because they have speed and their forwards yeah. are, are really young. The defense is deep. They might have a goaltender um, and they have a young coach. So I, I think that they're back in it next year. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, I always think that you always get those guys, those those teams where – like in the East, like New Jersey was was really good last year, and I think they overachieved, and I think that's going to be a team that takes a step back before they take another step forward. And you always get those handful of teams that something happens, like a disaster happens where the goalie gets hurt or the, the captain gets hurt. And I think on paper Colorado got better. Uh, I I just feel like they that'll be a candidate where where that'll be a, a team where now they've got the expectations. Uh, they, they've still got a younger head coach where they haven't been with him the, during the ups and downs. And um, it'll be interesting. I do like the Philip Grubauer addition because I think he has the potential to be a starter. Uh, I, I just think Semyon Valarmov too is like, you're probably not going to get another healthy season out of him again. So um, yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree there. I think that, that <laughs> I think that's the candidate where that where. You know, every team, every year somebody falls off the cliff. You know, they, they fall out of the playoff bubble, and, and you're unsure who that team is going to be, and, and, and you don't expect it. So I'll, I'll say Colorado is that team in the Central. Yeah, all right. well, we, we don't all have to agree because this would be boring if we all agreed. So. Yeah, it would be a boring podcast. If we yeah. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sometimes we're told we agree too much, but uh, this is good. So uh, let's move on to the next question, and I'll kind of let Ma- uh, Mario kind of jump in on this as well because this is kind of his uh, – What's more likely, Colleton replacing Q in season or Colleton replacing interim coach uh, Ulf Samuelson next summer? <laughs> oh man, um, I I mean I think it would take a a very dramatic, um, dramatically poor start for uh, Quenville to not see the full season this year. Um, you know, if, if they if they have a, a repeat of last season where, you know, they're 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 out of the playoff picture, you know, by by January or by the trade deadline, and I I would figure that the the front office would give Quenville to the end of the year, and then you know, in the off season, kind of do their do their you know mutually part ways kind of, um, you know, kind of kind of move. And, and, and go in a different direction, and, and you know, Colleton is—he's like I said before—he had a very good first first coaching year in uh, in North America. He's you know he's he's young. It's, I think this will be his fifth season coaching professional hockey in, in total. Um, 
you know, it, he he could be a, a a a candidate out there. I mean, he'd be older than a couple players on the roster, but or uh, younger rather yeah. than a couple players on the roster. And um, yeah, you know, Seabrook, I, yeah, yeah well, you know, Seabrook will be there till he's forty. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a possibility. Obviously, it's a possibility. Um, I think it might be a bit premature, but I mean, who knows if 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 Rockford this year has another season where, you know, they, they develop a couple players to be, uh, you know, NHL ready throughout the year. And, um, they have a, a good group of, of, of team success. Uh, they maybe make the playoffs again and, and have another deep run. Who knows? Um, I, I think it would take a, a rep, I think it would take a, a replication of Rockford's year last year and Chicago's year this, this, last year as well for some sort of, you know, Colleton to replace uh, Quenville situation to come to come together, but yeah, anything's possible. Yeah, but, and, uh, it, yeah. And that question was from Ken Kallenbeck, by the way. Let me kind of massage this question a little bit, and then I'll bring Charlie back in. Um, I don't think at this point in time, like if they were to make a, a coaching choice, I don't think it would be Colleton coming up in the midseason. I think that if Quenville yeah. was to go or be moved yeah. elsewhere. I think that it's going to go to someone like either Ulf Samuelson, Kevin Deneen, or John brought this up probably a couple of podcasts ago, Barry Smith. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that would be the way to go. Let me ask you, Charlie, if Quenville was to go, which one of those guys do you think would be the next guy? Well, so I'll, I'll say this. If the, if the Blackhawks do end up letting go of Q, first of all, actually, let me preface it by this. I haven't. It'd be very difficult to let Quinville go without seeing the Blackhawks as a, a full team with Crawford in that. Like, if Corey Crawford isn't in that for the first month or two months, and the Blackhawks just things go sideways from the beginning, that's going to be really. It'd be really difficult to ax him without seeing kind of the full product, and, and Crawford is obviously a huge part of that. Um, but. I will also say that if they do make that in-season um, firing, uh, I, I could not I, – I wouldn't envision it uh, seeing college in, in mid-season. You got to – that guy is has never coached at any level in the NHL, and, and I think the Blackhawks think extremely highly of him, and I really do yeah. think he could be next in line. But yeah. Give him a full off-season and, and yeah. get players – you know – essentially just build relationships with the guys because you don't want him to come in midway through the year and, and he's, you know, he's instituting this new style and he doesn't yeah. know the guys. You got to give him a full year. You got to give him training camp to develop relationships with players. Carlton becomes, I'm sorry, go ahead, Charlie. No, no, no. I, I, I was just going to say, I, but that does not diminish the fact that I do think Carlton could be next in line if they do uh, end up getting rid of Quinnable at the end of the season. But I, I do not see that happening mid-year. I think I think Colleton's time coincides with when the Hawks decide, you know what, we need to start moving out some of these big veteran contracts and really start to rebuild in earnest. That's when Q and Q's lack of patience with young players and lack of rapport with young players becomes just not workable. And a guy like Colleton, who's really good with young players, um, is is a very good uh, strategic on ice uh, playmaker and, and thinker. And um, 
I think that's that's when it happens, and I agree. It's, it makes no almost no sense to plug him in mid in the middle of a of a lost season when he's literally like six months younger than Brent Seabrook. I mean, it just literally makes no sense. It's not good for him. It's not good for the team. And it's also not good for Rockford. I mean, you don't right. want to get him out of the mid-year in Rockford and all these important players that you're going to want on the roster the next year. Like, why, why would you – you would want him to finish out that year and then maybe he comes up with them with some of the guys that are in the pipeline uh, that – that next season. And and I really, really like Colleton. Like I, I think he's absolutely going to be an NHL head coach one yeah. day in the near future. Uh, I, I love what he preaches. Um, his power play philosophy about yeah. zone entries and, and not, not giving, uh, basically you just keep running into a wall and, and he, he kind of sees it the other way where, uh, you know, if teams are kind of stifling one way, you got to <laughs> do it the other way. Like you got to keep progressing on the fly. Yes, I just like his philosophy, and and I think he's very, um, very comfortable with the media. Like that, he's not squirmish at all. Like he, he, I think he would be a, a very good next in line head coach, but I, I wouldn't do it mid season. So if they were to do a mid season, which one of those guys do you think uh, would be the next in line? <laughs> I would say Kevin Deneen, just because he's been there. Yeah. Um, you know the the, I, I guess the difficult part was with that is. Uh, you know, Kevin Deneen didn't have a pretty good year either with the power play last year. So no. I'm not sure. Like if the Blackhawks end up firing Quinville in the middle of the season, like they would do it because they want to salvage whatever's left of that year. Yeah. So it, it, it I don't know. Like I, I would have a problem if the Blackhawks just went completely sideways. Like at that point, just let it ride. Like don't, you know, try to to because if you if you do make that fire midseason, you want to salvage whatever's left. Yeah, you would go outside and and maybe hire a guy that could like a, you know, like what with uh, what Pittsburgh did last year, uh, way back with Dan Bilesma and and what Columbus did with John Tortorella mid year. Like they did that because they wanted to salvage that year. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I don't know if the Blackhawks would want to do that if things no. go completely sideways. Yeah, because. The only way Quenville goes is if he's literally like becomes it's like there's a cancer in the locker room and somebody's got to go either him or a player with a non-movement clause and you got to make a choice. That's the only way Quenville goes in the middle of the season, because the bottom line is you're right. I mean, if if it's that bad where you got to move Quenville, what it doesn't really matter who you bring in for the rest of the season. Um, you know, the only the, the argument for me, and I said this last year against Deneen or Samuelson is. How can you assume that they're not part of the problem too? <laughs> I mean, that's that's where that's where the Barry Smith thought came to mind because I, I know that um, you know when Scotty Bowman was in Detroit, if you know if he was out for a while, Barry was always the fill-in guy, and I know that it, Scotty Bowman at least thinks very highly of him as a thinker, and he has head coaching experience in the KHL as well, so um, that he could be a wild card in that situation. Because I mean, that was the thing last year. Everybody's like, get rid of Q, bring in that Deneen. But first of all, power play sucked under Denise's direction, which may not have been all his fault. Um, but the other side of it is, is you know, you, you kind of, it's kind of hard when those are the assistants to assume that one of them is necessarily going to be any different than Quentin was, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You like if you make that change, you would want a new voice, but you, right. it's essentially the same voice in the locker room because you're not replacing. Right. 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 Cool. All right. Well, let's get on the next one. Um, 
we don't have to get too deep into this because this, this question could take all night, but what are some line combinations you'd like to see? Oh, I kind of know what Charlie's going to go with this because I've kind of heard some of his stuff, but um, what are some of the line combinations you'd like to see? And do you, th- do you think there's still one more move coming? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you've heard me uh, yeah. on, probably on the on the previous podcast where I – I want to see Debrinke with Kane. Like I, I don't know why that hasn't been. Like I know you you wanted to shelter him last year as a rookie, or you maybe wanted to put him on more of a third line to get the matchups. But him and Kane, but, like even if you put Anisimov as the center, like I don't. I mind think you him. have to put Anisimov with him. Yeah, because, because they're all very similar with Schmaltz. Yeah. You know, right? Schmaltz. There's nobody to go get the puck. I mean, at least Anisimov could do that. I mean, and that's what he did when when Panarin was the left wing on that line, and that was a pretty darn good line. Um, and Debrickett on the left wing is a lot like a Panarin in terms of his game is shooting the puck. And, uh, so I would, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think, I think if you do pair those two guys, you got, cause last year, this last summer, everybody's like, ah, put Kane and Schmaltz and Kat together. That's going to be awesome. And they never did it because they saw what we saw, which is there's nobody to, there's nobody to go retrieve pucks. There's nobody to, to do the nasty work around the net with that line. And that's why, that's why the coaching staff never did it last year. Yeah. I mean, you, you saw how well Panarin and Kane worked together. Uh, and, and I think they could be similar to that where, where Dabrinkit has that, he has that deceptive release, that quick release where oh. you can, you can park him in and, and that circle, the face off circle and he'll be able to, you know, Kane can do his cross ice pass and, and they can feed off each other. And I also think, you know, Anisimov would be the beneficiary of that too because he would he would get his goals. He would be yeah. parked in front of the net, and and who knows? I mean, you can bump up his trade value as well if things yeah. end up sideways, and and you know he actually has some some value next summer. I don't or think next next February. Yeah, I, I think that if uh, if you, if you do put Kane, and I've said this many times, with the Brinket, that uh, of course. Anisimov's got to be their center because I don't think Schmaltz with uh, Debrinket and Kane, uh, while offensively they may be all right if they can keep the puck out of the corners and out of their own zone, I think that they lack in a lot of other areas that may they may get beat down in. Yeah. So. I think if you do put Schmaltz on the third line, you have to put you have to pair him with like Sakura or someone. You can't pair him with like Kunitz and Hayden. You need, like you need another playmaker in there. That's my you own. need a shooter. You need a shooter with with Schmaltz. Right. You need a shooter and you need someone that can create with it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well let's move on to the next one since we're running a little late here. Uh Dan Mech, any thoughts on rumblings of PTO targets? We've already talked about that. Or uh our has been needs. <laughs> We've already kind of talked about that. Um this is another good one from Sully twenty six. Gate referenced Foley's hatred of Karpatsev the other day. What uh, is your all-time most hated Blackhawk? I don't know about my all-time, but one that I had a, this it was almost an irrational hatred of, and a lot of people know this was Cristobal Huey. I was because of a lot of the things that that um, Anton Forsberg lost me with was kind of how Cristobal Huey lost me. He would give up a bad goal and he would be done and then uh the, you couldn't trust him and that's basically the reason that anti you know anti niami has a career was because chris balky could not be trusted so that was kind of how it was with me i don't know you got any charlie 
I don't know if I would say hated. He would probably fall into the most frustrating Blackhawk yeah. uh, category just because they gave him all that money and they let Hobby Bowen walk. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll I'll leave this this topic to you guys. John, <laughs> I'm gonna jump in. Um, uh, oh, Jack Skilly, all time. <laughs> I hated him. Oh, man. I mean, cocky, arrogant, and not very good. Hmm. Interesting. Mario, you got one. Um. Yeah. It's 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 hard for me to really to really hate on on anybody. Um. Yeah. I I I would say, uh, frus- frustrating for the fact that uh, I I think he was he was he was given more uh more chances than than maybe. He should have been given in in the time frame, but uh, you know Michael Roosevelt. I think the the, the <laughs> continuation the continuation of, of his career with Chicago beyond I think what it should have been yeah. was very frustrating for me. Um, but from everything I I, I heard, um, you know he's he's a tremendous guy, and so it's hard to really say I, I hated him. But it was more it was more just the frustration that you know they they that Quenville kept turning to him rather than maybe giving a, you know, a younger player um, an opportunity. Yeah. Well, you got that. You got uh, what David Runblad. Uh, we could oh. go down the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, Joel, Cromwell. I got one. No, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Aaron. I forgot about you. Sorry. Go ahead. Yours. I, I probably can't hate anyone for a long time, but uh, the one player that really, really broke my heart in an instance was uh, Chris Campoli, and everybody knows why. So uh, that was the, probably the the worst Blackhawks ten seconds uh, of my fandom, and uh, yeah, that was that was tough for me. So I just hate him for that ten seconds. I almost was, feel bad yeah, for Chris Campoli. It was a great game, but what he did, when he did it, who he gave it to, and how that person scored—it was just uh, a yeah. perfect storm. So it just tore me apart. Yeah. And talk about one play that defines, you know, a, a player's career with the Blackhawks. Yeah. yeah. He was I mean, actually a pretty good player. He was a yeah, good, he was, useful yeah. defenseman. I mean, it was really regrettable that, that it happened and played out that way, but it was what it was. Yeah. It was just the perfect shot. It was something out of a movie. It was just incredible. Game seven. I think it was overtime. Just brutal. Just put the puck to the boards. My lord. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. As a as a coach, sometimes uh, I can I can tell you how frustrating a play like that is, where you have so many places to put the puck, and you end up turning it right over like that. That's like Randy Johnson hitting a bird with a baseball. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. How, how did that puck end up in Alex Burrow's mitt? It's just, yeah. the, and then he puts it just top cheese where Crawford just can't even touch it. I mean, yeah. And I don't it being Vancouver and everything, yeah, everything just. Yeah, it was a perfect storm. The tragedy of that is, if the Hawks if the Hawks won that game, there's a really good chance they went back to the finals that year. The same you with know? the the LA final where uh, the the puck went off of uh, of Nick Letty. Yeah, and in the net. Except the Hawks were. I, I got to say, if the Hawks got out of that series in '14, they weren't going to do anything in the finals. They were they were physically destroyed after that series. There was a lot of guys with serious injuries at, that year after that after that series was over. Yeah. And you can go after that third that third cup, that Seabrook double post. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every every after every cup uh 
Cup year, uh, the Blackhawks took uh, their opponent to seven games. Is that impressive? Yeah. Yeah. And, the and, following year, they they were eliminated in the seventh game. And people still want to argue whether it was a as whether they were a, a you know like a dynasty. And there's there should be no argument. I mean, they were. I don't think so. That they weren't. No, I think they were. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Yeah, I mean, but people want to I mean, argue that because not just three cups, but also five conference finals in seven years. Right. Yeah. I mean, there were only a couple of years in there where they, you know, that that one year, that 2011 year, where they half the team disappeared, um, was really, you know, the the only year where they weren't able to compete. So, uh, which one? Which one hurt the most? The year after the seventh game or the game seven? So, what was it? Vancouver 2016 was St. Louis, and then what was 14 was the Kings? That was I think it was the Kings one. Uh, Yeah. I the Kings the Kings one hurt the most because I think the Hawks I remember I remember they came back in that series they I think they were down three to one and they came back and yeah. tied at three and um, you know that was still a really really good team I mean that was between the thirteen cup and the fifteen cup they were just a little weak down the middle that team they got kind of manhandled um, by the Kings in that series at center and um, you know it, it was it was just really and they 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 really I mean. I know for a fact that both Taves and Jalmerson and Hosa had serious injuries in that series. Um, like they, it was, a, you know, if they if they'd have gotten to the finals, it's questionable whether any of those guys would have played. And uh, you know, you, 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 that was a great team. It really was. They just were they were just were really beaten down well, by really, the time they lost. Well, really, that's the, the 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 year that they hung on to the aforementioned Michael Hanzus too long. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. Hey, wait to, way to circle back to the front question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Joel Cromwell asked about Crawford to LTIR. I don't, you know, at this point, I think we kind of mentioned that last week that like you have to be at the cap limit to really use that. And you probably have to use that money to get another goalie, which doesn't really yeah. necessarily make a lot of sense. So no. Um, so we'll go past that one. Brandon, uh, who's at straight white male on Twitter. Uh, what if Seabrook becomes a really good hockey player again, due to last season's problems, his new workout regiment. Um, how much better do we look if Seabrook makes it look like we don't have Yoki Haro to call up in the middle of the season? Um, I mean, I, Hey, I'm all for that. Seabrook's I have a Seabrook Jersey. I'm a big Seabrook fan. I understand that he's declined. I understand that his contract stinks. But, uh, you know, that that's better. That's great for everyone if Seabrook could stop, you know, could move back up into a top four role rather than, you know, hey, pretty much being a... Gabe, can I jump in on it? Yeah, um, go ahead. I actually thought down the stretch, he was their best defenseman last year. Um, he started, he had some he had some rough moments in the early going last year. Uh, but down the stretch, he had some games where he was actually really good. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I saw the... Uh, pictures of him on Twitter, you know, the, the few weeks ago, looking like he's dropped about 15 pounds at least. And he looks great. I mean, and uh, if that works for him, you know, um, you know, yeah, like I said, there was he, he his game steadily improved and, and solidified last year. I don't know what exactly it was, um, but, uh, you know, I, I would be surprised if he has a pretty good, pretty good year this year. Again, it's going to depend on who these guys are paired with, because, They've got two or three guys on this defense who are pretty questionable, I think, as far as, you know, how good they are yeah. as defensemen. So, I mean, 
it's just all going to depend. I mean, because there's going to be a lot of pressure on Seabrook and Keith again, and I think there's going to be a, quite a bit of pressure on Connor Murphy and Jan Ruda to step up and be consistently better than they were last year. John, I was going to say, what does that say about Connor Murphy that Brent Seabrook was the best defenseman coming down the stretch? This is a guy we traded, pretty much traded Nicholas Jalmerson for. Um, he's got eight years on Brent Seabrook, and he's still doesn't really fit in. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, Murphy, I mean, he's not, he's an okay skater. He's not a, a really good skater. Um, he, you know, he, he, surprisingly, when they moved him over to the left side, he actually played better there than his natural right side for a while. But the bottom line there is, is there's a guy that you can use on either side, and he's going he's gonna to play pretty well for you. I think Murphy's one of those guys that when he finally figures out what his game is, because um, I think he thinks the game pretty well, actually. But again, it's like he also got in Q's doghouse early on, which automatically just just messes with a guy's head. I mean, um, remember Trevor Daly, for example. I mean, it's just it, so, so I, I just got to kind of see what happens with Murphy. I think he's still got to find his game with the Hawks if he if he does. Um, you know, Root is the guy that concerns me a little bit. It's just he's he's kind of ineffective in his own end and in, in as much as he's a big guy but he plays like he's about 155 pounds and um you know i don't he, he looks great skating but i mean i just don't think he's terribly effective and you know manning's a pylon but he'll block shots and he'll engage physically and gustafson basically can't play defense so i mean it's just it's you murphy's if they're going to do anything this year murphy's got to step up and root has got to step up I think Murphy's good at a lot of different things that just are not this team. He's really good at board play. He's huge. Um, he'll stick you um, when he gets you behind the net. He can yep. clear the front of the net. He's got a great stick. But he just spent most of his career in Arizona just getting the puck and chipping it out. And that's just not really what the Blackhawks do. The, right. the Hawks want you to keep your head up the whole time, and they right. want you to see that forward and transition and hit him. And right. you don't really see Connor Murphy do that a lot. You see him get the puck and ring it around the boards and get it the hell out of the zone, which is fine, uh, but that's not what a top-four defenseman does. And he ha- hasn't really um, just found the groove or maybe found right. the right partner to teach right. him um, you know, D-to-D and let's make the safe pass. And, and let's be a possession team because he wasn't on a possession team. Right. I think that's all true. Charlie, you got anything to add to that? I, I like the idea of uh, Eric Gustafson playing with Brent Seabrook. I thought they were a good pairing last year when they were doing so in a third line or a third pairing role. Yeah. Just because it, it like Gustafson is obviously uh, probably a defensive liability and, and yeah. Brent Seabrook is a guy that you can, you don't need to ask a lot of Brent Seabrook if Gustafson is doing the creating. So they kind of feed right. off each other. Right. I would be more inclined to put them more on a third pairing role and, and kind of let Murphy figure it out in the top four and, and see if who can emerge as another guy. You know, if you put, I don't know, I, I guess. I, think, they, they I totally, I, to- I totally agree with you about Seabrook and Gustafson. It's interesting because for all the bashing Seabrook's taken, he's really been the designated babysitter of the most mistake-prone Hawk defenseman over, like, the last two to three seasons, um, which is really interesting um, from the standpoint of how the coaches view him. Um, but I agree, their sticks sort of complement each other, their styles complement each other, um, and he could 
you know, he's smart enough to know how to cover for Gustafson. Um, but, uh, the, but then you, you start talking about the top four, you're only after, after Seabrook, you only have a top one and that's right, exactly what that's exactly the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see two more questions. One from Ron Luch, future rink writer. Um, which player are you all excited to see this season? Personally, I'm excited to see John Hayden, uh, can take another step, become a 15 goal physical fourth line presence. Um, I'm going to go out here and say, I, um, I've always been a proponent of Victor Eitzel. Uh, I think that he could surprise some people and maybe make the team with his size. It won't necessarily be at center because you know, he played a lot of wing, but, um, he could be, you know, a wing that plays like third line or whatever. Uh, what about you, Joe? Yeah, I'm, 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 go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. You, it chopped up a little bit, and I didn't hear uh, who was. Uh, I'm, you know, if if we were going most intriguing, I would I would also say Victor Aitzel, just because he played. You know, he jumped around a lot last year, and and he he was obviously a big spark plug for Rockford during their playoff run. But I I, I still think he he needs a little bit more time in Rockford just to make sure, just to get some consistency in his game. And and he was consistent in Rockford, but it was a small sample size. So I, I do think he maybe needs a little bit more time down there, but I, like there are still some question marks all over this forward group, and so I think like by default he has to be up there. And I'm curious to see, uh, you know, where he would play and how he would fit in with, you know, uh, either he's playing on the second line or on the third line. I don't see him playing on the fourth line, but you would have to pair him with the right guys, like because you pair him with Anisimov or with Kunitz or Hayden, oh, like no. those guys, I don't think will be effective. But if you put him with a Schmaltz or Kane on the left side. Uh, you know, he obviously doesn't skate very well, but if you got Schmaltz and Kane uh, skating and, and he's kind of that Anisimov type player just playing on the wing, then then I think it might work. Yeah. Mario, what about you? I'm going to go to you. Yeah, I was I, I was going to say, uh, you know, Aidsel's very, very intriguing, um, but I'm I'm. I'm more in, in the boat with Charlie that, you know, he could probably start the year in Rockford and then, you know, make his way to Chicago if, if, if it was in the cards. But, um, you know, I, I think the way that Chicago is, is built right now that, yeah, he's, he's kind of getting, getting penciled in because it almost, it's almost to the point where it's just like, you know, who else do they have to put in those positions? So I, I think he's he's pretty intriguing. Um, you know, Ron mentioned John Hayden. I'm 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 a big proponent of, of giving John Hayden some NHL time. I think he's he's got uh, uh, you know a, a pretty good um, you know bottom six ceiling in the NHL where he can be a physical presence and um, you know can can do some do some things around the net offensively. You know, kind of uh, in in the form of Anisimov where he can you know he can get in front. He can you know, he he has good hands around the net from from what I've seen of him, and you know has has a, a scoring ability in him. You know, I think last year he kind of got away from his game uh, at the NHL level, and um, you know just started using his using his physicality as you know the only thing he was bringing to the table. But I I think his stint in Rockford gave him some confidence of you know hey you know he, he can do a little bit more than just you know hit people. He can. You know, he can distribute the puck and he can, you know, he can score some goals. So um interested to see how, how Chicago ends up using him. And, 
really Dylan Sakura, I think is, is going to be a, a, a key figure for Chicago. He's, um, you know, he's, he, he, he was brought in last year with, with a, a, an amount of fanfare that you'd expect the Blackhawks to really want him to, uh, to succeed and, and be a, you know, an option in, in the, in the top nine forward group. And, might even see see some time on the first line right side of, of Saad and Taze, depending on how Chicago ends up putting their lines together. And you know, if, if he can uh, if he can be the, the the kind of playmaker playmaking wing that they want him to be, um, you know, that's that's really only going to going to benefit Chicago. So, I I out of those three, I'd say you know Sakura is probably going to be um, you know the guy that that could you know, could turn the wheel the most. Okay. Um, so we'll see. John, you got an intriguing player? Um, oh, I know yours. I you know who I'm going with. Yes, I do. The, the pride of Blainville, Quebec. Um, I think he's going to make the team. Um, and, um, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people will be surprised, but I, I'm, I think he might make the team based upon his performance at prospect camp and uh, the fact that he was looked like he had regained – um, that extra step and that uh, that energy that he had two years ago when he was the revelation of prospect and hawk camp, um, Alex Fortin. And I think if he makes the team, he's going to do some really good things um, in in the right role that they're that they'll put him in. And um, I am excited to see Alex Fortin play for the Hawks this year. So why don't you choke on that, you big slap nut? There you go. That's right, baby. <laughs> there you go. How about Aaron? You got any guys? Yeah, you you guys all know that uh, I think t- uh, Tyler Secure is going to make the Blackhawks out of camp, <laughs> but I've said that before. Oh, um, my my guy, I think Mario kind of touched on the guy I'm most excited about, and that's Dylan Sakura. Uh, if you look at at his stats and you look at his highlights the last four years, this guy just totally emerged his junior junior year. He was a small guy, but he just lit up. NCAA. Uh, he lit up college hockey and he played on a line with Adam Gaudet, who is a Vancouver Canuck. He won the Hobie Baker this year. He's a big centerman. Um, and Nolan Stevens um, on his left side, who's 6'3. Uh, the guy's just a playmaker. Um, he's just probably has the probably the second best vision on the team. And I know we haven't seen a lot from him, but he's got great hands. Um, it's great passing. He can finish. And uh, I, I'd like to see him actually play with Artem Anisimov. Um, he might be good on that third line and uh, kind of just put him with some guys who uh, who can get to the puck, you know, let him have the puck for the play. I don't I don't know if it would be great for him to play with Patrick Kane just because Kane wants the puck on his stick at all times. And I think Sakura kind of plays the same way. Um, he wants to bring the puck into the zone uh, and make space for other players uh, to make plays. So I I think the same thing with Nick Schmaltz. Maybe those. Uh, Kane and Schmaltz end up on the first and second lines, and then maybe that player is Dylan Sakura, and obviously he has to add some weight. Um, but I, I don't think it would be great for Sakura to have a good year because uh, then you're in a real big trouble with uh, Nick Schmaltz obviously playing in a contract year. Dylan Sakura is also an RFA, um, and then Alex DeBrincat's got another year before he's an RFA. But uh, yeah, you got young players coming up, and it's just not a good situation because. Uh, the, the top dogs that you're paying on your team are making a lot of money and, and you're not getting a lot of added value from them. And these guys who are, who are playing for their futures, um, I, it's just hard to imagine you know, if we can actually afford these guys. So 
I'm, I'm hoping Dylan Sakura has a really good year and he finds somewhere to fit on this roster, but I don't know how great that would be for the Hawks. I think it'd be a good problem to have. Huh? It would be a great problem to have, but it would be a problem. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I don't think that any of those guys are going to have the kind of year where it's like they're going to have some kind of Panarin money coming in. So I think they're going to be affordable. Uh, you know, coming up, I, I, you're not going to see him like making, you know, over $5 million a year. Maybe Schmaltz is going to try and command that kind of money. I don't think uh to can just yet. unless he's a 40 goal year and I don't think Sakura can either. So I think you've got a little bit of leeway. Uh, I think maybe people are panicking a little too much on the, the Schmaltz and the and, you know, Sakura's and, uh, you know, resignings because um, they're not going to command that much money. I guess we'll see. And the final question from John and Jacob from the Talking Hawks podcast. My boys, your boys, Aaron. <laughs> says, Gate, is Wyman's really the best Chicago bar in Denver? I say so. Well, it's the only Chicago bar in Denver, so yes. <laughs> um, but I like the bar True in Denver. Uh, it's a metal bar downtown. But anyway, for real, though, almost certain Cam Ward is the number one net miner at the beginning of the season. Is it reasonable to think that the defense takes a step forward? He'd be solid enough to take to make the playoffs. Um, sure, if the if the defense steps up and someone, you know, can play that solid middle <laughs> pair role, but uh, I don't see it happening. There are yeah. so many there are so many what ifs with this with this team that yeah. Yeah. It's 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 just there there seems to be a lot of, you know, if if even if half of them pan out, do they are they still a competitive team? Um it's just it's there's just so much up in the air, you know, if if the defense plays better, if Corey is healthy, if Cam Ward, you know, isn't the the 905 save percentage, you know, that he's that he's been the last few years, you know, if you know, if Taze and, and Sa and all these guys bounce back, there's so many ifs. Um, so I guess if Cam Ward plays well, if the defense can, you know, if if they're not regressing again this year, if they, you know, improve, sure, they can be in the hunt. But I think there's just too many what ifs for this team to, to really be competitive in the, in the playoff picture. Yeah. There's more things that can go wrong than, than can go right. That's the right. that's the problem. Yeah, that uh, it's funny you say that, Myro, because that's what Charlie said before. There's so many what ifs uh, yeah. uh, uh, with yeah. this team. Like, even if half of them turn out, they'll, they'll be okay. But the but the biggest if is Crawford. So this question is it: if Cam Ward is the starter for the entire year. I don't they, know. I they just said beginning really of the know. season, but I think, you know, if you stuck it in into like, you know, December and Crawford isn't back yet, and, and, and I'm circling back to a lot of stuff that we talked about earlier, but like if Crawford hasn't been on the ice since mm-hmm. December, like coming back and then it, maybe he gets on the ice, maybe in camp, maybe he doesn't. Um, like, I don't think that even Crawford, if he comes back in December, I don't think he's going to make that much of a difference. You know, I think he's going to be behind the ball, you know, behind everyone else's development. He's 34, 35 years old. He's coming off head injuries. Like, I don't know that getting Corey Crawford back in the middle of the season really is going to make a difference. Right, exactly. Because October, November is kind of when you want to get into the flow of things. So by the time Crawford is 
back up to maybe the way he feels back to normal. Like it'll be, they'll be in the middle of the, they'll, they'll be, it'll be February, March where like you're in the hunt, like you're down the stretch here. So yeah. it, I mean, the defense is, they're going to have to take a step forward, Crawford or Cam Ward, like either one in that, like if they don't, they're going backwards because they can't, the, the, the problem with the last year is they were, they, they didn't get, they didn't get, they barely got offensive contributions from their defense. But they were also – they had a lot of holes defensively as well. Like, they were all liabilities. They were all minus players. So and they gave up they gave up a tremendous amount of shots last year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and, and they, were a lot, they were high danger shots, too. They weren't yeah. just, you know, peppering 35 shots a night. Like, a majority of them were, were high-quality shots. So right. they have to shore up that, and they have to get more contributions from their blue line this year. Offense. And apparently Michael Kempney was not the problem. <laughs> for the for the record, let's just note that. Oh, do you do you want to get me wound up, John, on the Michael Kempney thing? <laughs> hey, Gate, I got one more for for Charlie if we got time. Yeah, yeah, okay, go ahead and we'll wrap it up then. So while while we've got you on on the horn, um, you know, you look at teams that have won Stanley Cups in the past, Kings to, uh, you know, Boston, Pittsburgh. Um, after they won championships and things weren't going their way, um. They made big front office changes. GMs, uh, you know, Dean Lombardi, thanks for the memories. Let's let's get a new head coach in here in L.A., uh, even Boston. Um, but, you know, my question is, are the Chicago Blackhawks living in the past? Well, I, do you believe that because they keep um, – is it because they keep bringing back the old players or do you feel like they're just hanging on to the, the core too long or, or... – you know, like bringing back like Oduya and bringing back Versteeg. Like, is that what you're referring to? Or? No, I think more on the macro level. Um, you just kind of look at where the team is trending. And there's been so much conversation about, you know, why are we letting ourselves sink to this level? Why aren't there drastic changes? And, yeah, I mean, good teams don't make poor decisions. They're not going to say, oh, let's just fire this person and, and we'll magically get better. But, um, you know, another part of success is knowing when to stop. And obviously it's a marketing thing. You know, John's talked about it a lot. If you go into a rebuild, you lose a lot of the fans attention. Um, there's just been this huge wave of brand new fans and you don't want to lose them. But, uh, when, when do you look at this team and say, yeah, maybe we need some, some new ideas here. Maybe the game has evolved. Maybe the game's changed and we're not changing with those trends. Um, and we're, we're holding on to these players, uh, that who, who have done a lot for us, who've done great things, but we haven't done a good job moving on from those players and, uh, you know, building from within, um, because of poor decisions in the front office. I, I, I think, uh, I, I, like you look at the Boston Bruins and that's kind of a team I compare them to as a team that kind of reloaded on the fly, you know, after winning a cup and then they, they're obviously back into a Stanley cup contention now i look at them as where they recognized it they were kind of ahead of the curve and recognizing that okay we need to reload here whereas the blackhawks in 2016 you know they you know they captured the number one seed or uh, i'm sorry 2017 they captured the number one seed and then they got swept in the playoffs and they weren't even competitive like that hit them in the face like a ton of bricks so they were forced to say okay we need to take a step back here 
And, you know, they, they never got the chance to, to see the kind of the, the decline because they just cruised through the regular season. So I think that was a, a little bit of a disadvantage there. Um, but I think the Blackhawks would be in a much worse situation if they ended up uh, during those deadlines. Uh, the 2016 one is kind of justified when they acquired Andrew Ladd, but 2017 and even last year, it, it would have been more concerning if they were going into the pipeline and, and getting rid of these draft picks or prospects rather than replenishing because they would be in such a far worse spot than they are now if they didn't have those high draft picks to replenish. And imagine if they didn't even hit on to bring in Schmaltz in the later the first round and even in the second round too. So a lot of people forget that DeBrinket was acquired from the draft pick that they traded away Shaw. So, you know, like those guys, if you hung on to Andrew Shaw, you wouldn't have DeBrinket, you know, so there are some little silver linings along the way, but you know, unlike the Bruins, the Hawks, you know, they, they, they couldn't see it coming until they got swept from Nashville and said, okay, holy crap, we we're really behind the eight ball here. We got to reload. It's a good question. Cool. Well, I think uh, I think we we hit all of our points. We wrapped it up, guys. Huh? Sounds good. All right. Well, so you can find all of our wonderful content at www.the-rink.com. You can find us on the popular social medias uh, at the Rink Official, at the Rinkcast. Uh, I'm at Puck and Hostel. John is at J A E C K E L. Uh, Mario is at Late in the Goldie. Uh, Mario. What? Nope, that's me. Yeah, that's Aaron. Sorry. I'm going off the top of my head here, and I'm just rambling. Uh, that was uh, Aaron. And Mario is Mario underscore Tarabasi. And Charlie Romeliotis is C. Romeliotis on the Twitters. Um, if you get a chance, please head over to iTunes, rate, and review us. Uh, I don't have any huge plugs. I just want to <laughs> mention our friends over at Puckpedia again. And uh, John Scott over at his um, Dropping the Gloves podcast. Uh, maybe we can get him on it sometime. I don't know. Hopefully. Um, I got uh, nothing else at this point. Uh, John, you got anything? I got nothing. It was a great show. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Aaron, got anything? Yeah, uh, just spread the word. We'd love uh, your partner to come on, too, Mr. Boyle. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, tr- I'll, try to, I'll try to convince him. <laughs> he's, got, he's got plenty of hot takes of his own. Yeah. He does. He... he uh, He's good to work with. We feed off each other well. Cool. Um, Mario, you got anything? Uh, no, no. Just uh, thanks, Charlie, for, for coming on. And uh, glad we were able to get the, the full band on here. Yeah, it's awesome. Good stuff. Uh, Charlie, pleasure. I don't know if you got anything special you want to uh, plug on other than your podcast. Yeah, no, I don't. Just okay. the, cool. the Hawks Talk podcast, we... Uh, we try to do it every week. We'll do it next week as well. But uh, we just we just need to get hockey season here because these are this is the worst time. Yeah. August by far the worst time because there's the the free agency is behind us, the draft is behind us, the convention is behind us, and it's literally just the development camp is behind us. It's just like get us to the preseason, get us to training camp. So yeah, I'm excited to uh, get this thing fired up again. Yeah, and I really love your guys' podcast, Charlie. You. I agree with a lot of things you say. I like sometimes you go off, you know, off what you what you think the traditional quote unquote media might say. You know, you, you definitely uh, jive with a lot of things that you say here. So that's really, I really agree with that. You. I agree with that. I find you guys' perspective to be really uh, to be really refreshing. Yeah, I try to keep it real. Yeah, awesome stuff. Man. <laughs> cool. So I think uh, 
Thanks to everyone for taking that time out of your busy schedule to download us and support us. Until next episode, see you on the ring.